0: You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. glad you're here today. Welcome to Living Way Church. If you don't know me, my name is Ted Blair. I'm the pastor. And today we begin a series called Thrive. And I tell you, we are kicking off this kind of grand opening. Now, we've actually been meeting in here for the last month, but this is our first kind of like we're ready for you type service. And we're still not sure if we're ready for you. Uh, we're still working on Kid Venture. We're still working on our systems, our setup, and this is—we uh, haven't had two services in our format for a long time because in the theater where we were at, there was plenty of space for us to have one service. So we're still working out some things. So I'm glad you're here today, and be expecting—if you come back, which I hope you do—we're going to be building out more and changing more. So each time you come, you're going to experience something new at Living Way Church. Today we begin a series on. How to survive in a culture that doesn't seem to be going normal? How many of you feel like the world is changing? How many feel like it seemed like it changed while you were sleeping? And every day, I'm kind of like a news hound. So I get up in the morning, and you know, and I'm like, when as soon as I get to the to my news, I'm I'm rummaging through the news because I want to make sure the world's still spinning, right? Though we haven't somehow joined some, you know, got involved in some war or conflict. That there's not another, you know, uh, attack someplace or another shooting. I'm like, the world is out of control. It is changing. It is changing so fast that that it's almost for those of us who. Who are Christians and those of you that are wondering if God is alive or real during this time, it's like it's hard to understand, is it possible to do more than just survive in a culture that seems to be going crazy? And the answer is yes. You know, some people were asked out on the streets of Dallas what they think about the condition of the world and this is what they said. Well, when I was a kid, we just disappeared all day long, and mom never really worried about anything except when we were gonna be home for dinner. You know, you could take off and go to the park or play on the street or ride your bike around, and now, you know, you let your kid go out in the front yard alone, and you can get in trouble. I really love kids and watching how they're growing up. Um, not like parents are doing a bad job raising them, but as in regards to what they're being exposed to at a certain young age can be problematic. And I do believe that The world is in, uh, I would say, complete uh, turmoil and chaos right now. We're dealing with a lot of stuff, racism, poverty-stricken areas. How people are treating immigrants, how people are treating those of Islamic faith. Whenever you go to YouTube, you go to any blogger sites, you see, like, a lot of nasty things come up. Sex trafficking and, like, drugs and all that kind of stuff. You know, broken families or, you know, unwanted children is, is a particular concern of mine. ISIS. It's horrible, it's terrible. We'll find a way to overcome that, but once you cut off the head of one snake, there's another one waiting to pop out again. The media, I feel like um, perpetuates uh, perversion. Um, it takes everything out of God's divine order. One of the biggest things is the media. Yeah, it seems to spin it whatever way is, is good for their, their views and not actually what is truth and what is what is good for the country and what is good for everybody. Most people who vote, don't know what they're voting for they're like yeah we're republican or yeah we're you know we're democrats you don't know what you're voting for it's so violent now throughout uh all communities not just one anymore some of you guys are watching that you're like i agree with that i don't agree with that i agree with that i don't see many of you even now are drawing a line of, of what you agree with and don't agree with this we live in a culture that is expandingly getting more diverse and more interesting and more crazy and stranger and stranger. And, and in many ways, as we're going to find out, it's a, it's a culture that's very similar to the culture of Babylon, which we're going to talk about in a moment. So the real question is, how do we survive, not just survive rather, but thrive in a culture that seems to be getting crazier and crazier? We're going to follow the story of, of a young man and his friends that did that. His name is Daniel. Daniel. And so I'm going to talk about Daniel. Daniel, uh, come on up. I'm just kidding. Daniel's written a book. It's old. It's about 3,000 years old. Actually, we're going to talk about how to thrive in a culture that looks a lot like Babylon based on a guy who lived in the literal Babylon. His name is Daniel. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about Daniel, a little background check on this guy before we jump into this odd book. For many of you, you may be, you've heard of the book of Daniel. It's kind of like the revelation of the Old Testament. A lot of people, they, they read Daniel like they're looking for secret messages and hidden messages of the future. But what we need to realize that this is a man and his friends that lived in a real culture. In, a in real moments. There we go. And uh, they were actually living in a culture named Babylon. And the first six chapters of Daniel is that story, is the narrative. So let's talk about Daniel. He was a good person who lived in a pretty good place. It was Israel at the time. Then it happened an evil, maniacal king from Babylon attacked and took the best of the best to be his slaves in his homeland. Daniel was not bored. He didn't take a wrong turn on a road trip, and he wasn't on vacation. He was abducted, and he was enslaved, and he was put in a culture that was nothing like the life that he was living in. Daniel, he was young. He was upstanding. He was good-looking. He was smart. He was strong. Ted, how do you know that? Because the Bible tells us. Look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 3 is where we're going to kick off. It says this, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of His court officials to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. That basically means, he says, when you attack them, I want you to get the best of the best, and these are the requirements. Before you bring them from Israel into my house, into this kingdom, this is what I want you to look for. He says this, young men without any physical defect and handsome, I'm out already. Yeah, oh, my wife was so nice. She said, just because of the young man. All right, young man without any physical defect and a handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them these young men, Daniel and his friends and the other guys, the language and the literature of the Babylonians. So he had to be smart. He had to be good-looking. He had to be chiseled. He had to be cut. He had to have that that perfect, you know, uh, face and hair. He had to be smart. I mean, he had to be able to learn languages fast and learn cultures fast. I mean, Daniel was homecoming king material. He and his friends, man, they played on the football team. Daniel was captain of the football team material. He was a follower of the one true God. But after the attack, he and his friends were rounded up and taken to a foreign land where they never saw their family ever again. They were taken to a place called Babylon. Well, let's talk about Babylon. Anybody ever heard of that word before? Most of you ever heard of the word Babylon, and you're not... By the way, today Babylon is in Iraq. So uh, modern day Iraq is where uh, Babylon used to be, southern Iraq. Uh, How bad was Babylon? Well, it was the worst of the worst for a follower of God. In the New Testament, in fact, God and the apostles, Jesus, they all used Babylon as a personification of evil. So whenever they said Babylon, it meant it was synonymous with pure evil. Evil. The state religion of Babylon was satanic in nature. It, resol- it revolved around the occult, around human sacrifice, around astrology, everything God forbids. Babylon was not a culture that they wanted to be a part of. Now, the king, his name was Nebuchadnezzar, which I think is an absolutely cool name. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar. Who, who would name their child Nebuchadnezzar? Our young adults, of course, I knew a guy when I was in Bible college, his name was Zerubbabel. That's a Bible name as well, and they called him Zeb. I thought, man, you're the coolest dude I've ever met. Your name is is awesome. So here's Zerubbabel is not in this story. But there is Nebuchadnezzar. What was he like? He was evil. He was violent. He was unreasonable. He was cruel. He was a hothead. He destroyed God's holy temple. He stole all the gold and the treasures of God's holy tabernacle temple. He took them and he put them in a temple of his own false god, called Marduk, not Marmaduke, Marduk. And Marduk was known as the snake dragon. The very symbols of Marduk were the two symbols that represented Satan himself, the serpent and a dragon. So here's Marduk, the serpent dragon, who now has all the treasures of the temple of God. Now I want you to realize, have you guys ever seen Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, right? Remember those Indiana Jones movies? Uh, remember the, the Ark of Covenant? right heads up we don't know where it is all right it's not it's not in Ethiopia we don't know if it's under some in the caves of, under Israel somewhere in under Jerusalem it was uh, taken away i will tell you this the last place it's mentioned in the bible is right here when nebuchadnezzar and his men come and destroy the temple of god and take all the treasures away and put them in the temples of false gods that's the last mention of the Ark of Covenant. We never see it or hear from it ever again in the entire Bible until John mentions it in Revelation as being in heaven. Now, there's, we don't know if Nebuchadnezzar took it, but we know that he destroyed the temple and took its treasures. This is significant. He was not a good person. He was an evil person. He built statues of himself and forced people to bow down and worship him. He was so unreasonable that as a king, he killed people who could not tell him what he was thinking. Now, no matter what you think about our politicians, I don't think any of them has done that, that we are aware of. Not only was he abducted and changed uh, or taken and put into a new culture, but an identity was robbed from him. He was abducted and his name was changed to a pagan name. His name is Daniel, which means, check this out. His name means God is my judge. That's what Daniel means. God is my judge. That means I understand who God is. I understand my place in that relationship. And God is the one who I surrender my life to. So basically, God is my judge is a great declaration of the honor and glory of God. He was abducted and his name was changed to Beth, to Belshazzar. That name means Baal's prince. Baal is another word for what we know as Satan today. Imagine your name is Christian and you're kidnapped and your name Christian was changed to son of Satan. This is exactly what Daniel was in. Here's a man who loved God, followed God, loved his family, loved his culture, Man was a servant of God, abducted, dragged off into an occultic culture. His name was changed from God is my judge to Satan's prince. Daniel and his friends were followers of the one true God. They were forced also to learn the occult and to learn the dark practices of a wicked occultic religion. Imagine you're in kid venture. We got kids in kid venture or Wednesday nights in youth one, and they're worshiping Jesus and they're just back there learning about Jesus. They got the flannel graph going. We're going old school in kid venture. They got the flannel graph going, and all of a sudden somebody breaks in, steals all our kids, takes them off to a foreign land, and today they're learning about Jesus, but tomorrow they're learning and practicing and forced to memorize and recite back the practices of the occult and Satanism. This is exactly what was happening. To Daniel and his friends. And to make it worse, Daniel says, the book of Daniel says that Daniel and his friends were made eunuchs. Now, eunuch is interesting because a eunuch means that they were castrated. If you're not sure what that is, turn to your neighbor and ask, what's castration? I'd love to hear your answer. <laughs> no. Castration is something that all of Daniel and his friends had happened to them. Why? Well, here's the deal. If you're Nebuchadnezzar, if you're a king of that ancient time, which is pretty common, you would have many wives in a harem, women all over the all over the uh, the place that you lived, all over the mansion, all over the house, whatever. Uh, and and so you'd bring all these best of the best, these young, chiseled, athletic, good-looking, handsome men into your house. How would they keep these men from interacting with their harem and wives? Problem solved. Snip, snip, you're done. Next. All of these men, Daniel included, he was made into a eunuch. Now, this may be unfortunate, but it's more than that. It is life changing. It is devastating to a young Jewish man. And the reason is because this was an attempt to rob him of his future. In the Jewish culture and in the ancient culture, your children were your inheritance. Your name was your legacy. If you had no name and no children to carry on your name, you were lost in a culture that that was always worried about what would happen after they were gone. So basically, they were brought in and said, you will never have children, and your name will never be known. I will give you a new name, a terrible name, a pagan name, and when you're dead, everything about you dies with you. Your only identity is that you are a slave to Babylon. This was the situation that he woke up in, and it seemed to have happened overnight for Daniel and his friends. Listen, guys, our world, our culture has changed while you were sleeping. And every day we wake up, it seems like something else about our culture, about our life, about our story, about who we are. If you are a Christian, as a Christian, if you're not a Christian, our culture's identity is being changed. Your life is being changed daily while you were sleeping. Immorality is celebrated as normal while Christians are ridiculed. The death of a giraffe has mourned more than the millions of aborted children and babies killed every year. Up to 5 million globally, 900,000 abortions, unborn children. Their lives are taken yearly in America while their body parts are sold off. Christians are beheaded and attacked globally. The number one persecuted group in the world are Christians. Racism is growing And the tension in America is rising and it seems like we're on the verge of another civil war. Christians, it's time to take a stand, but we're silent in the midst of the hatred and we're taking sides. Violence and attacks are common occurrences. We don't have to look very far. Where can we go? Are we safe anymore? Can we go to school? There's shootings in school. Can we go to church? There's shootings in church. Can we go to the movies? There's shootings at the movies. Can we go to concerts? There's shooting at concerts. Where can we go? Our military bases, they're safe. No, there's shootings at our military bases. Where can we go? Our culture is spiraling, it seems, out Of control. Violence are common occurrences here and globally. Jesus speaking to John the apostle wrote this in Revelation Verse uh, 2 in chapter 18. Actually, it's just before Jesus was about to return to earth. By the way, the Bible tells us that there is a day when Jesus will return. He came once, and as sure as he came the first time, it's called the first advent, he's coming again. It's called the second advent, he's coming back again. The coming of Jesus is imminent. And just as sure as he came, he's coming again. We don't know when it is. It could be a 100 years from now. It could be 1,000 years from now. It could be tomorrow. But when that day comes, this is what the angels will be shouting when he comes riding in on that white horse. It says so in Revelation 18, it says, with a mighty voice, he shouted. The angels shouted this. He said, fallen fallen is babylon the great she has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit now you might be wondering wait that's a future event and babylon uh, in in this story is still alive but eventually babylon does fall nebuchadnezzar does fall and that kingdom is you know, destroyed, and, and new kingdoms rise up. So when it says Babylon has fallen, why is it thousands of years from the original Babylon, are they saying that it's just now fallen when Jesus comes back? That's because you are living in Babylon. Welcome to Babylon, everybody. Babylon had fallen, and I'm not talking about the United States, I'm talking about the kingdom of this world. Your address is Babylon, Babylon. And in Revelation, all through the New Testament, it refers to the kingdoms of this world and the mindset of this world as the new Babylon. And as the Babylon that we live in progresses and gets more and more intense, there will come a day when it will fall. So what do we do until then? How are we to live and thrive in a culture that seems to be going haywire? Four truths about life in Babylon. Your address is here. Your address is Texas, USA, Babylon. How do you live and thrive here? Here's the first thing I want you to know about living in Babylon is this. Number one, we might be here a while. We might be here a while. Now, this is a while, two words, because it's a noun, not an adverb, so that all of you uh, grammar police can be kind of move on, all right? I have people who are like, well, that's just really the common thing. This is two words, a while. First Peter says this. Uh, Peter says this to the, to the church, us. He says, so be truly glad. This is, this is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. The Living Bible says, while still down here. And realize this, it may get tougher as the days move forward. We're living in Babylon, and it's not, you know, you know we, we sing the songs of, man, if it could only be like the old days, let's all be honest, the old days were so great. We look back at certain, you know, generations in fondness. I want to tell you something, each generation is incredibly flawed, filled with sinful people who had terrible attitude towards other human beings. Every generation has war. Every generation has violence. It seems like every generation has tremendous amounts of racism and hatred among people. Things aren't always as great as you remember them. And we want to believe that things will always get better. But the reality is things may not get better. And we may be here for a while. You might not get your best life now. Ultimate victory for those who are followers of God is in the eternal, not in the now. Life is not good all the time. And Daniel addresses this. How can Daniel in the midst of a crazy world thrive and succeed? We're going to find out in the next few weeks. Don't miss any one of these. We're laying a foundation for how to thrive. Have you ever watched the news or award shows or, or, you know, watched television and thought, man, I'm worried about where we're headed? Sometimes I watch award shows and I see these celebrities who have so much influence. I'm like, you just never know what's going to come out of their mouth. And you're like, oh, man, I worry for my kids. I worry for my grandkids. I I worry about where our world is going. I feel like I don't fit here. Anybody ever felt like that before? You're like, man, I'm a little concerned about the direction of our country, our nation, or me. Well, you want to know why you feel that way? Philippians 3.20 says, it says, for our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You wanna know why you feel that way? Because you don't belong here. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're just never gonna fit in here. Things just aren't really gonna feel right at home fully here for you. Unlike Daniel, this place is not our home. Like some of you, I'm homesick for a place I've never been to before. We are made for a heavenly kingdom, not this kingdom. What we need to worry about is when this kingdom doesn't bother us anymore, and when we feel too at home here. Written for the people in exile in Babylon, what we're going to do now is we're going to spend some time in Jeremiah, even though Jeremiah is a he's a contemporary of Daniel. Uh, basically, Jeremiah was a prophet in Israel when all these. Daniel and his friends and all these other captives were in Babylon. And Dan, uh, Daniel's in Babylon and Jeremiah is writing to them. He's hearing from God. God, I'm looking around and all these wives, their husbands were taken. I'm looking around and all their sons have been abducted. I'm looking around and our, our crops are failing. Our workforce is dying. Our temple has been destroyed. God, are you there? Our homes have been uh, burned down. God, we're left destitute. God, how can you help us? Jeremiah is seeking God's face and God speaks to Jeremiah and says, I want you to write a letter and I want you to send a courier to Daniel and the boys back in Babylon. And this is what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 29. It says, this is what the Lord says. He says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Now, how long? He says this. Daniel gets, hey, Daniel, got a message from Jeremiah. Yeah, what's it say? What's it say? He just heard from God, and here's the latest word. And, And I'll see you in 70 years. What? He's reading this, and he says, man, the Lord says, I'm coming for you in 70 years. You know what that means? That means every one of those boys, Daniel included, is going to die in Babylon. They're never going to see their family again. They're never going to see their siblings again. They're never going to see their home, their homeland. They're never going to worship in the temple of God again, ever. God says, I'm coming in 70 years. The next verse, you probably put on your Instagram page. We love it. It's probably written in a cool font, maybe on a mug, on a sticker. And it says this, I've written it in hundreds of graduation Bibles. The very next verse says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We're like, man, I love that verse. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then we got to remember that verse 10 says, In 70 years. If you seek my face, I'll see you in 70 years. If you're faithful, if you just say humble, if you, yeah, I've got great plans for you that begin in 70 years. He says, if you seek me, you will find me with all your heart. I will be found by you in 70 years, declares the Lord. And will bring you back from captivity in 70 years. I will gather you from all the nations in the places where I banished you in 70 years, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Great. When? 70 years. Guys, we're in Babylon. Settle in. It may be a while. So we know Daniel reads this. He's not just going, man, what's going on? When's this going to happen? When's this going to change? We know he read it because in Daniel 9, verse 2, it says this during the first reign, uh, first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. If you read Daniel 9, the whole rest of that chapter is Daniel declaring a praise and worship and prayer time for God, saying, God, I know that you're good, you're faithful, and I'm going to be here for the rest of my life. I know this isn't my home, but I'm going to make it my home. And I know you're just, and I know you're good. And you know why he was thankful? Because he knew it wasn't going to last forever. He knew that a day would come, but he may not see it. Knowing 70 years Daniel was encouraged, even though he says, I won't see it, God, he says, give me the strength to live in it. So for 70 years, he lived where God was mocked and the followers of God were persecuted. For 70 years, he lived where he was forced to learn and accept a culture that he did not believe in. For 70 years, he lived in a place where the leadership was vile, volatile, and explosive. For 70 years, he lived in a place where he did not belong. His entire lifetime, he lived in a place he never felt at home in. So here's the question, what do we do while we are in a place that we do not belong? So many of you are, are followers of God. Some of you are looking into this whole idea of being a Christian. And and for most of us here, we would all accept that our world is changing. And some of you for, for the better, maybe in some ways, in technology and advancements. But in many ways, it's also changing for the worse. And we see it if we're honest. And many of us, we know that that maybe this isn't all there is. And so the question is, what do we do while we are in a place that we do not belong? Well, Jeremiah tells them what to do in Jeremiah 29, the same chapter, just verses before he said, in 70 years you'll see God come get you. He says this in verse 4. He says, this is what the Lord of Heaven, heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives, he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. This is what you should do, and it's not what you'd expect. He says, buy everything you can, put it in a storm shelter, get water and ammo, and be ready. He doesn't say that. He says, move out to the country in an RV. Go off the grid. He doesn't say that. He says, never have any children because the world will only get worse don't want that for them. Now he he says what we don't expect. He says, guys, you're in exile. You're going to be there your whole life. Here's what I want you to do. Build homes and plan to stay. He says, plant gardens. Eat the food they produce. Marry. Have children. Then see them grow up. And he says, then find spouses for them. And not only will you see them get married, but you're going to see their kids. And he says, so that they may have many grandchildren. He says, multiply. Do not dwindle away. Increase, don't decrease. He says, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you. He says, man, he's talking about Babylon. He said, make Babylon great. Work so that Babylon succeeds. That it excels. That it is successful. He says, pray To the Lord for it, for Babylon. Pray to God for Babylon. Bless it. For its welfare will determine your welfare. If it's blessed, then you will be blessed. This is not the answer we expect. What do we do while we're in Babylon? Number two, this is what you should do. Make the best of it. Make the best of it. Get a job. Work hard. Raise a family. Put pictures on the wall. Have children. Make a life. Honor God. Be a good grandparent. Build up the community. Be an example in your neighborhood. Make it better. Be a peacemaker. It's not our home, but make it home for a while. I love that word. He says, build homes and plan to stay. Don't try to get out of here and isolate yourself. God put you in Babylon for a reason. He says, Daniel, don't forget, you might be in a place that you don't want to be, but I've got the power to help you to thrive in a place that, that does not honor me and he says listen daniel tell your friends tell everybody to settle in the same principles found in the new testament first peter chapter 2 says dear friends i warn you as temporary residents and foreigners that means if you're a christian uh, you're here on temporary visa you're just passing through you're a foreigner, and he says, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Why would they give honor to God when Jesus comes back? Because of your honorable behavior, they have met Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You see, our life is Intimately and directly connected to the ability of of God to move and work in our neighborhoods. I want you to write this down. It is possible for a Christian to live and thrive in a culture that is not God-honoring. And this is the reality that is beautiful. You'll just embrace this idea. You don't have to be on survival mode anymore. You don't have to be defensive. You don't have to be like ready for the attack. Man, get out there, stand strong and thrive in a culture that is not honoring God. God can can raise you up and do great, mighty things in you. Where there is darkness, the light shines that much, even more. Romans 8.31 said, if God is for you, who can be against you? This is not our home, but let's make the best of it while we're here. Some say, well, I just want to move to the country and get away from everything. I don't like the way things are going. I've talked to some young adults, and I'm not having kids in a world like this. Listen, the same God who saved you can take care of you, can take care of your children, and can take care of your grandchildren, and you can thrive. Jesus says it this way. He says, man, when it looks like the world is getting worse and worse and worse, When you see that day quickly approaching where it seems like things are spiraling out of control, he says, you know, the end is near. Jesus says this, verse 28 of Luke 21, he says, when these things begin to take place, I love this, stand up, lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He says, man, when things are getting real bad, look up because it's about to get real good. There's a possibility that things will get worse. But it's a great reminder that we are only temporary residents here, and there's a greater day coming. So until that day, stand strong, lift up your head, worship God, knowing that he is for you and with you and can help you to thrive in a culture where it seems like you're going to be here for a long time. Second thing I want you to know, not only do you not lose hope, because you're going to be here for a while, but number three is that we live what is right, even when the world is doing wrong. See, Daniel was plucked out of a good place, and he was plunged into an evil place. He was taken out of a culture that was kind of the, the holy bubble of his day, right? It was his whole community were, were all Israelites. They were all followers of God. They had a national religion, all right? And they worshiped one true God as a community the best that they could. Many of them failed at it. But it was a community that honored and sought to honor God. He was plucked out of that and plunged into an evil culture where he was the minority in a culture that hated and discouraged any kind of relationship with the one true God. Now the question is, how did he know it was evil not just different from what he knew? I mean, if he grew up in church and he grew up, you know, in a Christian family and all of a sudden he, he steps out of the house at 18 and he's going to college or he's going to the world, man, and there's like all these different things going on or, or he hits high school or she hits high school and like, man, exposed to all this change in culture. How did Daniel know that it wasn't just a different point of view? Because that's what we're told. It's just, you know, you're, you're just a believer, that's your background, that's, your, that's a Christian view, but the world is bigger than that. And they're true, they're right. But how did Daniel know that it was evil, not just someone's different point of view? Here's how. Daniel knew what pleased God. He knew what sin was because he knew what God desired. How do we know what is right and wrong? How do we determine in a culture that is haywire what is a right choice and a wrong choice? Let me try to illustrate it with this very poor illustration. (laughs) Imagine Jesus came to Texas in the flesh, okay, and he comes to Sean Denny's house. He says, he says, hey, what's up, right, and Sean's like, yeah, Jesus, thank you, man, you saved my soul, what are you doing here, he goes, All right, here's what I want you to do. Sean, I want you to go buy a truck. Not your truck. I want you to buy a new truck, and I want you to bring it back, and we're going to go and travel Texas and help people and tell the world about who I am. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Sean says, what do you want me to do? I want you to go, and I want you to go buy a Ford truck. So Sean says, I'm on it, Jesus. And he goes, and he comes back. But what he comes back with is a Dodge. And he comes back with a job. He says, but Jesus, it's an extended cab. And the bed is extended bed. And it, it's diesel. It's more efficient. It's, man, you can, it's, man, it can carry more. It's stronger. It's better. And they didn't have black in the Fords. They were out. So Jesus, here's the Ford. Let's go. Now, did Sean do the right thing? Why? Because Jesus wants a Ford. For the sake of argument for this for this illustration. He should have known that a Dodge, no matter what the deal or the perspective or his opinion or the opportunity, he should have known that the Dodge was not what Jesus wanted because Jesus wanted a Ford. You just kind of see where I'm going. You see, there's clarity in our choices when we know what God desires. When we know what God desires for us and for our life, there's clarity on what is right and what is wrong. When I worked at Texas Credit Union, I handled money. And we had to identify counterfeit bills. Anybody ever work at a bank or an institution? I know Sean did. If you got this. And you had to identify counterfeits. And one of the things that we did is we didn't just study counterfeits, we studied Real bills. And they would give us charts and graphs on how to identify a real bill. Not identify a counterfeit bill, but a real bill. And so the idea is that if you can know the clarity of what is really desired, then you have clarity on what is false. If we know the details of what is right, we can tell. What is wrong? We need to know what God wants, not our feelings, not our opinions, not our perspectives, not culture's sway. And this is important. While in Babylon, it is vital that we remain, know, and understand God's will for our life as found in the Bible. Culture is changing. God's word is not Paul says it this way in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Many of you, this is your favorite verse. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, I plead with you, I beg you, I pray that you will, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of what God has done for us, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That means God doesn't just want your heart, doesn't just want your soul, doesn't just want your mind, he does want all that, but he wants your bodies too. He wants your actions, your lifestyle. He says, so I'm... Pleading after all that Jesus has done for you. In light of God's mercy and grace for you, offer your bodies, your life, your actions, your attitudes, the things you do as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. He says this is your true and proper worship. I mean, when we sing songs and when we, if you know if you're a hand raiser, there's all kinds of different hand raising. I'm, you know, there's... I got shared something on Facebook. It's pretty funny. You guys know the, the different kind of hand motions and stuff. It's pretty funny. I'm not going to go into it. Sorry, rabbit trail. You know, when we sing and we worship, you know, we're, that's just an expression of our worship. Paul says our true and proper worship is our life. It's how we live Monday through Saturday. He says this, do not conform to the pattern Of this world. That means don't do what everybody else is doing. Don't think the way that everybody else thinks. Don't let culture shape you, but let God's word shape you. Don't conform to the pattern or the systems or the way that this world operates. He says, you see, the tendency in Babylon is to bend to this kingdom's way of thinking rather than the kingdom of God's way of thinking. Because many of us, we have a a good heart, you know, we love people. We want to be an object that, of, of, of attraction to people that maybe want to know God. So a lot of times Christians and people, they bend to the culture's way of doing things, opinion of things, and, and just their their view of life and, and, and what is right and what is wrong. He says, but don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he goes on, he says, we need to align our mind, our life, the way we think with the way that God thinks. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, the way we think, align our life to God's word. He says, then you will be able to test. The word there means to judge, to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing And perfect will. Guys, it is not judgmental to say what is right and what is wrong. Based on what the Bible says, it is required and it is called discernment. A Christian, or if you're not a Christian, I want you to understand this that we are called to be people of discernment. We live in a world where Christians are called idiots. And out of date for taking a stand, while people who celebrate perversion are considered brave and courageous. But those who know God, we obey what is right even when it is not convenient. We're going to find this in the life of Daniel. We have to have biblical discernment. And this is what the live teams are going to talk about this week. If you've never been in a small group, this is the week we're going to talk about how to have biblical discernment. That Bible study will be available tomorrow. You can download it and be ready for it. Let me put it this way. If a van pulls up to the sidewalk while I'm walking down the sidewalk, if a big white van with no windows pulls up and swings open... And a guy with a ski mask on and two machetes in his hand says, jump in. I'm not being judgmental if I say no. Should you get in? Well, I think you're just judging guys in ski masks. You're just, uh, you don't like machetes. Uh, Were you offended by a child? As a child, did you have an issue with machetes? It's because you don't like vans, right? not your style. No, that's a clear, defined right and wrong. The answer is no, good judgment. But it expands also in the more trivial and challenging things that we need to learn to have discernment in. Good judgment is part of God's plan. Now, I want to wrap up with this thought is this, is that there's good judgment and there's bad judgment. And there's Extremes on both ends that are that are unhealthy. So I want to give you real quick, and again, we're gonna talk about this in the small groups. You can download the Bible study, you can do it on your own if you want, but the small groups are kind of where it really really comes to life. Is this two extremes in judging when we accept the sin and celebrate them? Isaiah 520 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. We see it every day, sin is celebrated as a choice. And a desire to be supportive and loving of somebody, we, we accept their choice and then we celebrate them as a person. That's an extreme that is unhealthy. We should never as a Christian, Daniel never, you're gonna find this, Daniel lived in a completely perverse culture. But I tell you what he never did. He never attacked or condemned the king. He never belittled or put down the people in that culture. He never attacked TV shows or music entertainers. Daniel, he did not publicly blog about how Nebuchadnezzar was a narcissist. He didn't put on his Facebook or his Instagram how bad it is to live in Babylon and how he wished it could be like the old days in Israel. He never did any of that. But he never celebrated the sin either. He never accepted it as normal either. He never called evil good and the darkness light. Here's another extreme. It's the flip side. It's when we condemn the person and never interact with them. See, a lot of times we're like, well, I'm not, I'm not definitely going to celebrate that. I'm just going to, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. You're wrong. You know what? That's an unhealthy, ungodly approach to Babylon. Again, Daniel never condemned attacked. In fact, you know who became Daniel's best friend? Nebuchadnezzar. You're going to find in the story that Nebuchadnezzar, who is not a follower of God, he did later on in the story, we find out how to have an encounter with God. We're going to get that later on. But in the midst of this perversion and this oppression, the Nebuchadnezzar put Daniel in. Daniel loved on him, reached out to them, and made a deep, concerted effort to be supportive of him and that even when Nebuchadnezzar had to put judgment on Daniel because he broke the law, even Nebuchadnezzar, an evil man, his heart broke for Daniel. Even though he was trying to kill Daniel, his heart broke for him. You see, oftentimes we have this tendency to to draw a line in the sand and say, that's wrong. This is right. My way or the highway, either do things my way or you're not welcome in my life. Guys, listen, this is the challenge of being in Babylon. It is because he allowed those people into his life that God used Daniel to bring three dynamic revivals in Babylon. And Babylon eventually fell. And the kingdom that followed let them all go back home. It's not our job to write anyone off, but there's a chance for everyone. It's not our job to judge the world. 1 Corinthians 5, 9-13 talks a little bit about that. And the fourth thing I want you to know is that we will be known by our love, but not always loved back. It would be easy to run for the holy hills, to join a gated Christian community, get all our groceries at some Christian grocery store, and only get our school supplies at Mardell, to get in a holy huddle, and only use Christian plumbers and Christian electricians and people from our church, It would be easy to isolate ourselves at lunch or at work and not be involved in sports because there's too much profanity. People just aren't acting like Christians. Well, you want to know why? Because they're not. How are they ever going to see Christ in you unless you're there? It's not God's desire for us to isolate ourselves. We are to live and love The people while in Babylon. For God so loved Babylon that he gave his only begotten son. God loves the people of Babylon. Our culture, our people. All those politicians, all those movie stars, all those musicians. You're like, ah, God help us. You're destroying America. No, sin is a generational curse that that transcends every generation until there's full redemption in Jesus Christ. This is not a war against an individual. There's a spiritual war for the souls of men and women in the world. We're to love them while in Babylon. God loves them as much as he loves you. You may be the only Jesus they ever see. The battle for the souls of mankind goes on. Listen, God loves that gang member. He loves the inmate. He loves the drug abuser, the unfaithful spouse. He loves those who struggle with same-sex attraction. He loves the crook. He loves the criminal. He loves the liar. And he loves the girl who's looking for love in all the wrong places. And he loves you. He loves you. Jesus, talking to his disciples, says this in John 13, 34. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Not just the easy to love, not just the ones that you like to love, not just the ones that love you back. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, you're going to love people, and you're going to be known for your love, but most likely, he says, they're probably going to hate you. But he says, don't worry about it, because they hated me first, so it's all good. He says, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples, he says, If you love one another. See, we don't love to get love back. As people who are seeking to help the world to know God, as we live in Babylon, we do not love to get love back. What do we do when we don't get love back? Very simple. We look to the cross of Jesus, the blood that was shed for our sake, for our sin. We look to the cross who yet, while we were enemies of God, he died for us. And even when we wanted nothing to do with God, God came to us. And when we are not loved back, we look to the cross and we keep on loving. That's what we do. Love does not accept or condone the sin, but it does keep loving. The world is not the enemy. They are the prize for our love. In the next few weeks, Over the next few weeks, we're going to learn how to thrive in a culture that is haywire. Guys, listen, today was the foundation, and I want you to know this. This is the big picture. We live in Babylon, and God loves it. Not the culture, not the kingdom, but the people of Babylon. He loves them. He cares for them. He gave his life for them. And as we seek to thrive in a culture that seems like the personification of evil Babylon, don't forget, God loves those people. He loves your neighbor. He loves that politician. He loves that celebrity. He loves that coworker, that person who's vile and perverse, the person who's making all the wrong choices. God loves them. So over the next couple of weeks, Daniel is in the worst imaginable place, kidnapped, castrated, forced to study the occult, and to serve an evil king. Yet in his 70 years, he saw three revivals, and he rose to prominent authority in the kingdom. He didn't just survive, but he thrived. And I want to challenge us to have a different perspective on our culture. Let's stop attacking it. Let's settle in. Let's build some homes and plan to stay. Plant some gardens. Eat the fruit of those gardens. Get married. Have children. See them grow up and help them find a a husband or a wife and see your grandchildren. Honor God. Pray for this city. Pray for this nation. Pray for this world. As it succeeds, so will you. Because we're going to be here a while. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you love us and care for us, that you gave your Son for us. God, I thank you that, Lord, this, That uh, Lord, sometimes it can feel hopeless and so dark to live in our world. But, God, I pray that today was a, uh, a glimpse of, of hope and comfort. Lord, even when the world seems to be going, Lord, out of control, God, you have an opportunity for all of us through Jesus Christ to thrive in a culture that is failing. God, I pray that we would be hopeful people, positive people, encouraging people. If you're here this morning and you're like, you know, I want to thrive and I feel like I'm just surviving. I feel like I'm, I'm barely making it. Listen, you were born and created and designed to do more than just survive. To truly thrive, it begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the launch pad for a successful life. Through Jesus Christ, we find our purpose, our meaning, and the answers to our own failures and mistakes. Through Jesus, we have hope for a new day and a fresh beginning. So I'm going to give you a chance right now to thrive, to say yes to Jesus. I want us all to pray a prayer together especially those of you that are would like to begin fresh with jesus christ i want to lead you in a prayer let's all pray it out loud as encouragement for each other let's pray this dear jesus thank you for loving me forgive me of my sin wash me clean thank you for the cross here's my life i've made a lot of mistakes but you are a forgiver of sin Thank you for your forgiveness. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me how to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.